All right. Well, welcome to the show again, and stay tuned for a really fantastic guest I'll tell you about in just a minute. But before I want to do, I tell you, I want to tell you what a joy it is uh, for the keynotes that I'm now doing, and guess what they're called? Business etiquette, what's in, what's not. Yes, all of a sudden, Charm School is back. Goodness, I had a charm school when I was in my 20s, and those topics are back. Why? Because professionalism needs to come back. Why? Because we need civility in the workplace. Why? So that people will be productive and companies will have ROI. So isn't it interesting, kind of like in my way of saying old shoes, if I keep my shoes long enough, they're bound to come back. And that's what's happening. So I would love to talk to you about doing a conference or a keynote speech on business etiquette, what's in, what's not. It's really a fun topic. Okay. I always want to thank my sponsors, first of all. And one is the beautiful blouse that I'm wearing today from Betty Ryder Boutique. You will find her lovely store at Preston Center in Dallas, Texas. Lots of gorgeous European-style clothing, and I'm honored that she is one of my sponsors. And my other sponsor is Taylor Bags, beautifully made in Spain. I want you to check them out. Gorgeous colors, leather that's just squishy soft, handbags that go everywhere all the time with you. All right, let's get started for today. I know someone who has been a father figure <laughs> for more than eight thousand children. You want to know more? Stay tuned. Welcome to our podcast, Doing It Right. This podcast reveals authentic stories from successful leaders doing it right. It's about their journey to become a leader, their choices, motivations, and lessons. In essence, how they built successful personal brands. Your host is Valerie Sokolowski, author of eight leadership books and nationally known as an authority on executive presence and personal branding. Let's get started. Here's Valerie. All right. I want to welcome my guest today, Charles English, in transition from being the CEO of Boys and Girls Clubs of Greater Dallas. Welcome. I'm so glad you're taking the time out today. Valerie, thank you for the invite. And this is not uh, uh, something that I am not familiar with, especially when it comes from someone like you I've known for quite some time now. Quite some time. Yes, I remember when we first met uh, at the mayor's breakfast. We were walking down the hall, and yes. all of a sudden we were walking together. We started a brief conversation, and audience, this is what I want you to know about this. That conversation led to a relationship it did. for many years. It did. Mm -hmm. And uh, I have a lot of quotes. And one that fits this one, All right. God does not work with coincidences. I love he that. He put us together for a reason. He did. Yeah. And one of the reasons besides our relationship is to have you on the show. And I want to talk to you a little bit, Charles, about just what is it like to father, that's the word I'm using, <coughs> eight thousand children. Tell us about when you were the CEO just most recently for all those years. What was it like? Uh, every day was a different day. Every child of that 8,000 that we served had their own unique 
issues, challenges, mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. But I think we can take that question a little further back and like, what was the thing that influenced your passion mm-hmm. to make a decision to leave your world of banking and finance and For- investment banking and your wealth management in Highland Park <laughs> in an executive chair to go to work for an organization where we don't necessarily have a chair because we're out in the community working with families and kids and helping them to reach their full potential, which is inserted in our mission statement, to reach their full potential of becoming productive, caring, and responsible citizens. Citizens. Yes, and that mission was very strong for me to to, to, to consider. So that's that was exactly what I was going to ask you in terms of how did you transition? Let's just take the wonderful skills that you exuded over your many years, 30 years, was it, in the banking and finance industry? I would say 35. Okay, <laughs> up it a little bit. I'm trying to help us age-wise, you know. <laughs> and, and there was a lot of learning that went into that 35 that I incorporated into the Boys and Girls and Club. And that's exactly okay. right. How, you know, what are truly, because people often, Charles, ask me, well, I don't know if what I'm doing now will work over here in something I'm considering. And that's exactly what the question is. What was so transferable mm-hmm. from banking and finance mm-hmm. into this wonderful nonprofit? That's a, that's a wonderful question. And, um, you know, uh, given... Uh, the, putting it in contact mm-hmm. uh, at kids in private colleges, okay, and their mom was an educa- educator, and I was the breadwinner uh, in banking and finance, mm. and I'm being asked to step down from my three year as a board member to take over an insolvent institution. And insolvency in the financial world is you just broke. Okay? That's bad. We were looking at maybe three months to meeting our last payroll. And as a result of that, that would have left several kids on the street without mm. having a place to go after school and during the summer. Wow. That's where God comes in. Mm. He says, well... Charles, have you heard about the story of Jonah? <laughs> yes. Nineveh, right? Uh. And you sent him down to Nineveh, but he was very, very reluctant, right? Well, sometimes in life, God is always constantly preparing you for something that is going to put your, your creed mm-hmm. of being a good person a religious person, a good father, a good husband, and going to put it to a challenge. And that was my challenge. I mm. could not see the kids not having a safe and productive environment to help promote them out of communities that oftentimes was depicted as being poor, underserved, and where medical, health care, mm. food, desert existed. So I through lots of prayers. Mm. Three weeks later, I realized that um, I couldn't sleep and I accepted uh, the offer to step down and we started rebuilding this organization uh, from insolvency to currently uh, over $40 million endowment and uh, 
a host of a lot of investors. We don't have donors. And we have investors, investors in the lives in the of lives. our kids. Absolutely. And we have from five clubs in 2006 to now 25 club locations serving 8,000 kids from serving just a handful of kids when I took over. You know, Charles, that's, that's, that's amazing and very inspiring. And having known you this amount of time, I'm curious about um, some of the challenges that you face. Let me just ask you a couple of them, mm -hmm. because these are life-changing opportunities right. for these kids. I, <laughs> I wrote down in my notes, don't say kids, say children. And here you are saying kids, so I, I may go back to they kids. They are my kids. Your kids. All right, they'll be mine too. But one of the challenges, there's several I want to ask you about, one of them is uh, language barriers. We both know that there's a lot of uh, foreign people who don't speak English mm -hmm. coming into our country, right. and unfortunately, a lot from Texas borders, mm -hmm. putting in a plug on that. Uh, and to think that, this is statistics, China will soon be the number one English-speaking country in the world. That's interesting. Very interesting. How did, yes, how did, how does your work um, help these kids with language? Uh, excellent question. Um, we realize that the demographics of Dallas mm -hmm. was changing at a rapid pace. And uh, we had employed, uh, to date, uh, close to 200 uh, youth developers. Okay. Good. And one of the things we were very intentional about is looking at bilingual uh, learners. Mm -hmm. And we also wanted to make sure that we hired as well as had volunteers who could um, help our children who are coming from uh, English second language households. Okay. okay? Mm -hmm. And because of the communication, um, that we knew that our young people needed. Corporate America could care less about whether you can speak correct English and have effective communication skills. They want to make sure that you can communicate in the King's language. And we knew that for a fact. So the balancing act is how do we mm -hmm. honor their culture of Hispanics or the Mexicans who are now in the country where their uh, generation of family members speak primarily Spanish. And how do we bridge that? And we bridged it with uh, hiring uh, the right staff that were bilingual, but also encouraging our students to understand that they had to transition their culture without abandoning their culture speak to both. be able to effectively communicate because our overall mission was to help them become what? Productive? caring and responsible citizens. Citizens, okay? right. And for them to become productive citizens, education, education, education. That's right. Okay? Yes. And those who are going off to college, mm -hmm. very uh, skillful in their communication skills, oftentimes because of what they learned through the Boys and Girls Club. That's wonderful. The children that come and that you're helping are from six-ish to yeah. what-ish? 18 years of age and beyond. We track our really? kids in the military, law enforcement, and primarily in college. 
no until problem. they complete that degree. Uh -huh. And then we have a number of national sponsors. Okay. And we ask them to give serious consideration for these kids who have had a journey of challenges to have an opportunity to work for, uh, for the company. And so we've had uh, CPA firms that have offered internships. We've had manufacturing companies that have offered internship and uh, banks that have offered summer internship. And through that, these kids come out with not only a degree, but also with an Real employment knowledge. that is going to take them out of a history of poverty. You know, Charles, that's one of the greatest things, in my opinion, that the greater Dallas area, Texas, I'll mm -hmm. just say, uh -huh. and more and more the whole United States is opening our arms to particularly the children who need things like the mm -hmm. Boys and Girls Clubs. I, uh, I wanted to talk about something a little bit fun on the same subject, though. Art Linkletter, remember many years ago, he had uh, children say the darndest I things. I remember. And he would ask questions, and I just remember laughing because children would say the funniest things. I want to share a couple of things that I went back and looked at and then ask you a question about it. So one time, Art asked a little boy what he wanted to be when he grew up, and the little boy said, a pilot. And Art said, well, okay, if you were a pilot, and one day you were flying the airplane, and all the engines stopped working, what would you say? And without hesitation, the little boy said, our father who Art in heaven. <laughs> I was laughing. There's another one that I was laughing harder at, <laughs> which is a little girl. Art said, tell me what your daddy does. And she said, he raises funds. And Art said, who does he raise funds for? And she said, himself. <laughs> so my question to you, going back to Art Linklater, but what were some maybe funny things the years you were involved and still are, uh, that you heard children say. Oh, oh, my God, the list is long, but one that comes to mind immediately is that uh, we had a group of elementary kids who've never been uh, on a site tour downtown mm -hmm. in a high rise. Uh -huh. So this uh, law firm invited uh, about 40 of the kids uh, to uh, have lunch. And it was on the 13th floor of the building and the food was all laid out and it was a great event for the kids guess where they spent most of their time at the window <laughs> they had never been in a Aww. yes and uh questions were well how do we get up to 13 floors <laughs> well it's called an elevator okay <laughs> and so exposure Yes, is simple. Is very, very important uh, to, to us. And so one of my graduate uh, students from high school got accepted into NYU. Wow. And I go with him. Mm -hmm. And uh, he's at the subway station, and he's opening the door and holding it open for people to get on. <laughs> I'm like, uh, oh, Darius, <laughs> you got to get in where you fit in, Okay. <laughs> You need to get on board. Aww. Otherwise, you're going to miss a whole lot of appointments in your life. He was being gracious. Yes, but he did not transfer he his culture 
and uh, the community in which he grew up in, which was uh, in the uh, Oak Cliff community, <laughs> uh, into going into a big city Aww. with a transportation of, you know, subway system. We're in the big city now. Yes. Right. So I thought that was funny. What about some inspiring stories? Give me one that really was uh, touched you. Uh, well, we have 8,000 kids. And we don't have enough time for me to tell you <laughs> the one. number. Just one, I'll Charles. Pick one. <laughs> okay. I'll, pick, I'll pick one. Thank you. Here's a young lady. At one point in time, they were homeless, her and her mom and her young, uh, uh, her young uh, sister. Mm -hmm. And uh, she had been a club member uh, since about the eighth grade, right? Mm -hmm. And I knew that she was pretty smart. And um, we were able to get involved and got their lives stabilized. Mm. and a resident that they could uh, live in and uh, started creating an opportunity for her, her to envision going to college. Mm. I had a board member who is a very strong uh, alumni advocate for his university. Mm -hmm. And he and his wife took this young lady to the University of Texas, introduced her to the president of the University of Texas and after two or three years, this young lady becomes the first African-American female at that of the student body. And mm -hmm. she was able to transition that, uh, that campus in a way that never imagined before mm -hmm. because of her background and her upbringing. She had stamina, but she stamina. also had uh, grit. <laughs> grit. And toughness. Mm. Charles, when we were talking, you gave me several of your own lessons learned. <laughs> we're laughing a lot uh -huh. right behind uh -huh. camera. Uh -huh. One of them was create a mission-driven lifestyle right. so that your passion fuels your, your commitment to succeed. Right. So talk to us about how that worked. In okay, the way, the way we see our mission, and first of all, I, I would suggest and strongly advise anyone who really want to impact the lives of others, mm -hmm. um, look at what, what your mission is. I, I never worked for any organization of the three, four different banks I worked for. I looked at the mission of that bank. And the one I was the most proud of was the fact that I started up with two other guys, a uh, bank in Plano. And you know what we called it, our tagline? What? Independence Bank, your bank. Your bank. We we great we, tagline. We wanted to make sure that our new customer base understood that they were not an account number. So I looked at that mission mm -hmm. and I went for it. When I came into the Boys and Girls Club uh, mission world, and it said, "What what are we going to do?" Well, we're going to involve a lot of programs, a lot of activities, a lot of volunteerism, a lot of mentoring to enable young people, give them the gift of hope. Oh, give yes. them a gift of having a desire to be where they want to be, but they cannot clearly see it now. So that's why we need to give them the exposure mm -hmm. of a broad spectrum of life that is outside of their zip code area in which they live. And part of that is driving out of them their mindset, their heart, a passion for wanting to do something in life. And so once we discover that, mm -hmm. the once we discover that passion, 
then that's when it's our job to make sure we put them in a position of success. And I always say to everyone, if you just don't have a lifestyle of driving mission to a point where you are meeting the needs beyond your family, mm -hmm. then maybe perhaps you just have a job. A job. And you know, I'll tag onto that in that my husband's parents came from meager means, hardworking, middle-class people. And his mother, as a toddler, took him in the car and he told me later would drive around into mm -hmm. the high-end places where people lived in that city Exposure. and would say, son, someday you will live in that. And she planted that seed. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, that's wonderful. So <clears throat> one of the things we talked about, Charles, that was one of your lessons learned was don't make friends only when you need them. Relationships are continually essential to your success. Oh, uh, yeah, that's a lifelong um, learning that I've used in many cases with my family, with my friends, especially with my staff. Um, you don't make friends when you need them because it, 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 it basically implies that the only time you'll call them is when you use them, you'll mm. be using them maintain relationships and that's what it's all about mm -hmm. and I gave an example of one where as I was being recruited for the chairman C for the CEO president CEO position in Boys and Girls Club of Dallas and I went over to the search firm uh, for an appointment mm -hmm. um, I walk in the door and the business manager met me and she said welcome Charles it's good seeing you again oh as my goodness she knew me in a very personal way <laughs> And I said, have we met before? She said, yes. Uh, in the 11th grade English class, <laughs> you edited and my essays and helped me with my English writing in high school. Isn't that fun? And we were friends at the time. Hmm. And we then meet. And, and she says to the owner of the search firm, we don't need a reference check. I'm his reference. Oh, my gosh. What a great story. Yes. Remember that, audience. <laughs> Keep your Build your relationships all along them. the way and maintain them. Right. That's so important yes. because people today, I find someone will call and we will meet for a reason. And if I fulfill that need they had, exactly what you're saying, mm -hmm. never hear from them again. I like that one. We could talk forever. <laughs> uh, but I want to leave with one more thing. And you brought it up earlier. Leadership, the skills you brought. And you said, and I'm saying to the audience, let's just talk leadership because all of you are wanting to be better and better leaders, as do I. Leadership relies on your ability and willingness to develop other leaders. It's not all about you, is it? No. And I know my audience knows that. Any yeah. comment about that? Yeah, leaders Pretty make leaders. Leaders make leaders. Right. And it could be a selfish motive behind that because you want to replace yourself one day. Mm -hmm. Succession planning. Succession okay? planning. Come with leaders making leaders. Um, oftentimes, what is being confused is that you have high-performing um, employees who are great contributors to the mission and the goals mm -hmm. and objectives of the company, but they never really develop that intangible skill called leadership. 
and that thing is so um, it, it, it is so intense. The intangible part of it comes from a soul that has been developed over the years that some refer to as wisdom, mm -hmm. adaptability, uh, communication, and helping people to become more engaged with the mission of the organization and give them an opportunity to fail and to learn from that failure. And a lot of leaders oftentimes fail at leadership because they just miss some of those very simple components of leadership. Well said. And I'll add one more thing, which is often leaders in, in the executive coaching part of what I do will say, well, Valerie, do you think leaders are born or developed? And I say the desire to be a leader mm -hmm. starts in your heart. That's a great beginning. That's the great beginning. Yes. And the skills and the competencies mm -hmm. grow with experience. So that's my story. I'm sticking to it. I think you should. <laughs> I think you should. What a great... What, do you have something to say about that? Well, authenticity, yeah. uh, humility, those are those intangibles I spoke of. Mm -hmm. And uh, being very honest and truthful. And as I told my kids, um, my grown kids now, dad knows everything. And they laugh. And they say, you really? Uh, I said, let me tell you, explain something. You go to school to learn knowledge. Then you apply that knowledge to your employer or to become an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. And then you gain experience. But after knowledge and experience, you need to understand how do you sustain the motivation behind that knowledge and that experience. And that grow, grows into ex wisdom. Okay, now part of wisdom is knowing what you don't know. Mm. So if you and know some things, and but it. if you also know and admit okay. to things that you don't know, then you know everything. There you go. <laughs> I've loved this interview, Charles. Just real. I told you that. I said, you know, audience, every guest says, well, what will this be like or what will you ask? And I never tell them exactly what I'll ask because that would be That's really true. boring. You have been incredible, sir, and a friend of many years, and that will stay. Oh, absolutely, Valerie. So pass yes. the word, audience. Yes. This has been a great interview and a lot of lessons that you can take from Charles uh, in his long walk of experience and now transitioning into whatever wonderfulness you end up being. So here's my Valerieism for today. Service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. Let me Amen. say, do you like that, Charles? Like Let me say it again, audience. I think it's great, too. Service to others is the rent you pay for your room here on earth. No, I didn't come up with that on my own. I read it somewhere, but I think it fits wisely. And that is we are here to serve. And that's why that whole movement of servant leadership yes. came into being. And that's humility. Leaders who become egotistical are not going to throw a shadow of leadership that anyone will want to follow. And until next time, that's my story. I'm sticking to it. Come back when I'll have another wonderful guest like today. Charles, thank you so much for thank being on the show. Thank you again, Valerie. All right, and look Appreciate into it. Boys okay. and Girls Clubs of Greater Dallas. Fabulous organization. Bye for now.
Thanks for listening. To receive Valerie's voice, free monthly leadership tips, and to learn more about her leadership programs and coaching, visit her website, ValerieAndCompany.com. Next week, we'll be here again to inspire, engage, and equip you with teachable points of view from successful leaders who have been doing it right. Until then, lead authentically.